Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking the stories of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Joyce Johnson. Joyce is an author, speaker, business coach, and founder of Y Sales Network. In today's episode, Joyce talks about her career in sales and media, founding her own organization, and the benefits of mentorship for both the mentee and the mentor. We also discuss the journey she took in writing and sharing her own personal story. Let's take a listen to Joyce's story. Hi Joyce, welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Yes, um, I am Joyce Johnson, sales champion business coach. Um, I'm also founder of Why Sales Network, a platform where we educate um, sales professionals with training and development tools and resources. Um, we say that we are um, empowering the next generation of leaders. Um, I grew up in Galveston, Texas, about 40 miles outside of Houston, Texas, where I reside now. And um, I've lived in Houston for many years. Houston is what I call my hub. So I've lived in Northern California, working in um, the San Jose and the San Francisco area, as well as lived in Miami. And for right now, I'm back in Houston until further notice. Awesome. So you've pretty much stayed in that West Coast area most of your life? I like to say warm. Yes. Warm. (laughs) Smart. Smart. Um, So what was it like growing up? And I always like to ask women who inspired them as a young girl. You know, I, um, you know, I I have to start with my early life with my mom and my aunts, her sisters, um, just for as my inspiration, my grandmothers, I was the firstborn grandchild on both sides of the family. So I spent a great deal of time with both of my grandmothers, very, um, powerful women in their own staying and being. And, you know, I could say my mom's mom, when she passed when I was 17, at the time, she's one of my best friends. I would go to her and talk to her um, about nearly anything, which is amazing. (laughs) And um, so they are very strong women. They're very community focused, very family focused and oriented, and as well as um, powerful women in their work and what they do. So that's where I got my, you know, my foundation from. That's amazing. I love that you had such strong examples and that they also instilled a focus on community. I think when you grow up with multi-generational families, you get that sense of um, community. You get that sense of working together, collaborating together from a familial background, but also stories that they share. Is there a memory that you have from either of your grandmothers that sticks with you? Well, you know, I hum a lot. And so people always ask me if I want to sing, why don't you sing something? And my song, the only song I can really sing and hold a tune, a couple of them are different birthday songs. And then I actually make up birthday songs for my friends' birthdays and my family's (laughs) birthdays. You know, I'll call and I'll just make up a birthday song. But I, you know, I can recall um, both of my grandmothers hum. They hummed in the kitchen while they were cooking um, you know, and as they walked around the house, maybe on a, you know, early morning. And so, you know, I, I always remember that about them and I naturally would just begin humming sometimes. And, uh, you know, and I think that's sort of like a, 
the music of the soul to inspire you through that day or to get you through the moments, you know, where you are. I love that humming is the music of the soul. And I think that it's, you may have subconsciously picked it up or not. And it's just something that you've now practiced, just like your grandmother's practice, they're humming and enjoying. That's kind of how you share your enjoyment and the little joys that you have in the day-to-day tasks that you do. I'm also a hummer. <laughs> so I, I, I can relate. Some people are like, what are you singing? I just, you know, just, it comes out and you don't even think about it. You don't think about it. Next thing you know, you're just humming. And if you feel like, what if, what are you, what are you singing? I'm not singing. I don't sing. I hum. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. So what was your, you were living with all these maternal figures. What was it like growing up in Galveston, Texas? What was it like for you as a young woman, a young girl? You know, growing up in Galveston, um, it, it was a really, really good upbringing and, you know, really community-based. I was sharing on a podcast last week with one of my childhood friends that if you were, you know, a couple of blocks away from where you lived or you should be, you know, people in the community knew your family and they would call in a moment and say, you know, do you know that Joyce is over here? You know, Mm -hmm. or they'll shout out to you and say, does your mother, grandmother, you know, your aunt, whichever family member they knew, your uncle, you know, do they know where you are? You know, why are you over here? And, um, but just the community. So Galveston is a small island. And we could walk anywhere we wanted to go. So we would walk all over that island. You know, we would walk from home to a friend's house, meet halfway between, then walk up to the seawall to the beach and, you know, walk along the seawall and, you know, um, just a lot of, you know, fresh air. I think just a lot of really good friendships. I wish that my nieces had that type of upbringing because they grew up in very large cities. Mm -hmm. And although we migrate to cities, large cities, we always stay within our community. But as I've seen over the years, it's hard for them to maintain those lifelong friendships because everyone changes schools and, you know, move around very big cities. You know, in Galveston, if you moved, you probably still was in that same school district. You still was in walking distance of one another and able to, you know, have your families um, get together so um, just really strong community, a very diverse community. We were known for our hospitals there. It was one of the top medical centers at one time prior to Hurricane Ike um, hitting Galveston and destroying a lot of things. And so very diverse as well. Um, you know, in my upcoming book, No Back Doors for Me, I do talk about growing up there and being in elementary school, not having as a, having a diverse community outside, but not as diverse inside. Mm. You know, with that said, it was, a, you know, um, you know, it was a very close community and, and I really enjoyed growing up there. I love what you said about being able to just walk around the island. It sounds so peaceful the way you describe it. I imagine after school for you is a lot different than after school for me living in the suburb outside of D.C. It's it's not as, you know, there's no beaches to walk to. And you don't smell the sea and the ocean the same way that you did every single day growing up. So I think that just sounds so peaceful. And I love how those maintained relationships and the closeness that you had as a community allowed you to stay connected, even if you did move 
Um, did any of those moves come as a result of a hurricane or a natural disaster? Well, some of those moves, you know, initially, no. Um, I, I have to say no. Some people maybe just move to a different area of town. Um, but so unfortunately, so fortunately, I should say, we did not have to move, you know, because of a hurricane or national disaster. We did have um, a hurricane when I was um, in school, Hurricane Alicia, and you did wonder, well, where are my friends? Are they going to come back to the island? Because people were told mm -hmm. to leave. We stayed on the island because my uncle, my mother's brother was in law enforcement and he was not able to leave. And so, uh, and whenever our family left for a hurricane, we all left together. So my family had like a hurricane fund, my mom and her siblings, and we would all leave together. We would leave and go to a smaller city with a hotel, and we probably had most of the floor <laughs> running around as kids. But um, for that particular um, hurricane, we did not leave, and it actually hit. But my, um, my mom and her siblings, they were not going to leave their baby brother. And wow. so they... I love, oh my gosh, that is so powerful that if you left, you left together. And if you, one of you couldn't leave like her brother, then you stayed and you hunkered down. And I like that supportive, again, this just highlights the community-based mindset that your family had and your community had. And I can imagine that that really influenced you. And as you looked forward into your career and how you would like to um, leave your mark as a young woman and how you if you chose careers and paths that would lead you to who you are. How did you start your career journey? What was your dream job growing up? Well, my dream job growing up was to be in broadcast, TV broadcast and, and, and journalism. So I studied journalism in high school and I was a member of the newspaper during high school. I was also a training photographer so that allowed me an opportunity to um, attend sporting events and travel with the teams, take photos and write articles mm -hmm. about, you know, my friends who were in sports. And so that was my career path. And when I went to college, I went to college and I studied um, communications journalism. I was on radio in college and um, the newspaper there, and I worked in sports information when I was in college. So still writing, using my writing skills and um, to create great stories about people and their journeys. That's awesome. I like how you, you trained in all of these positions. So you did that photography training in high school and then you parlayed that into more training and opportunities in college. How did you land on sports specifically to begin your career? Well, you know, when I went to college, I shared a story often. I went, yeah, I needed to work. I needed a job. <laughs> so let's be honest there. I needed a job. And so when I went to different areas around college, and I don't know who gave me the referral to sports information, maybe the student um, financial aid or something, but I went over to apply for that job. And I tell the story all the time that I think I got it because I showed up, there was all guys applying for the job, but mm -hmm. my high school experience, um, taking photos and writing articles in high school and being an editor on a newspaper helped me. I showed up with my portfolio and I could type <laughs> and, and probably faster than some of the guys if they could type at all and I could write. And so they needed someone to not only be able to 
that new sports and new to game because it, I learned the games also in high school, the rules. Yes. So not only um, new sports and the games, they needed someone who could convert that into a story and, you know, get that story typed up and sent it, sent out to the media and be able to help with um, organizing events and things. And I think I was just kind of a natural organizer when it came to planning of events. I still, that that's always been, you know, a love of mine and, I've always planned and scheduled some type of events throughout my career. That's awesome. I love that because especially the sports world probably back then was definitely male dominated, but you showed up with all of that experience, that portfolio, and you took advantage of all the opportunities in college. So when you had to get your first job, you didn't just show up with um, like a regular resume. You came with a portfolio and a skill set. And I think that's a lesson for anyone listening that, Sometimes you need to enhance yourself outside of even what the job description looks like or might look like because you're not just competing. You're not competing against the job description. You're competing against everyone that walks into that room. And as a woman, unfortunately, you have to provide over and beyond what they might be looking for to be able to outcompete those men. Um, Absolutely. Oh, I was about to say, Sorry, I think I miss ahead. my calling. Sometimes I feel like I miss my calling, like I should have been a sports agent because I'm also like a master uh, negotiator, <laughs> you know, but you, you know don't... It's not too late. It is it's not, not too, too late. late. <laughs> no, it is not too late. And you have all of this experience. I mean, why not? Um, <laughs> I feel like, honestly, women have such a great skill set in organizing, but also I think there's a beauty in being able to tell a story very well that and seeing the sides in, in a way that is captivating because when we're talking about media we have to be able to captivate the audience and I think that when you talked about not just knowing the game but also knowing how to put it all together the skills of writing and typing and then t- transform all of that into a story you you brought such a wonderful skill set to the career but then your organizing skills and obviously now your negotiating skills could totally have been able to be parlayed into a career as an agent um but you know it's not too late who knows someone could be (laughs) listening and be looking for an agent and you might just get a call (laughs) now i'll connect them i i am a connector so i love connecting people um to other people that can help them with their careers in their life so um did you ever experience any sexism in the in that sports world Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, that happens in all worlds, right? (laughs) You know, I'm in Texas, so it's a big oil and gas town as well, um, state. And so you experience that. And so you do experience that, you know, I can even remember as a a higher consultant, (laughs) you know, working um, with, um, you know, athletes and things, having a meeting scheduled and showing up to the meeting and them basically saying, you know, um, not to sit at the table, but to sit at in the chairs or tables behind the main table. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, and 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 not to and and really, almost to speak when spoken to. Wow. Yes, or you know, or having the the men um, not support something that you've been hired and asked to do. So it, because the you when you presented it, you probably should have had a man present it on your behalf. Oh so. my goodness. 
Oh my Absolutely. Goodness. And, and I, very, I, very recent I as well. My own, yes, I remember my own outside of the conference table moment. And I think some, unfortunately, so many women probably have this moment, whether it's a business, nonprofit, the classroom, in school. Um, it's it definitely lights a fire under you to want to maybe prove them wrong or overperform just to make sure that you can prove that you you've you've proven that you've earned your seat at that table because you were hired as a consultant, which is quite ridiculous that they a company could pay you for your skill set but still not find it valuable is a sad reality for so many people. It's a very sad reality, you know, and even, you know, it, this summer I was talking about planning an event, you know, there's another side of my business where people have asked me to come in and consult on major sports events to help them um, enhance the experience. And I, um, I worked on one last year in the, in the Bahamas. And so when I was talking to um, individuals this summer it was like, you know, you're going to have to partner with a man on the ground and have, you know, you're going to have to partner with this company. And what they really were saying is you're going to partner with a man and, you know, because no one's going to listen to you <laughs> as a woman talking about this topic. And and I'm ta I'm on the, yeah. some of these conversations and I'm just thinking to myself, like, really? <laughs> wow. That's so, and this is this is last year. Like, people might think, oh, that was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but these things still happen and they will still happen because unfortunately so many people either play the game and just try to get ahead and, or there's the, or the few that do speak out or make a ruckus about sexism um, or microaggressions that they experience have to go through so much just to prove that it even happened, that there's not enough accountability for these people that do this to women. Um, but hopefully that continues to change as more and more people speak up and speak out. When you um, started this career, how did you see yourself? I know you said you needed a job, but did you see yourself growing with this company in this position or did you always want to pivot your career? Well, I started sports information in college. So that was on the college campus, right? And mm -hmm. the great thing about that job is sports information. It exposed me to so many different things. It exposed me to sales. It exposed me to marketing. Uh, it exposed me to sports information. I didn't know that was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although I was writing sports articles in high school, I didn't know that that was a thing. It exposed me to the administrative um, in the back office side of sports and business. So it was just such a, a great opportunity. And so it, I, it did make me want to go into um, sales, the sales marketing, event planning piece of business. And, you know, and it did lay that foundation for me to understand just not what happens on the field and what the court, on the court, but what happens on the background as well. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about this sales career. How did you start and what was your focus in that career as you began? Well, my, you know, my first sales job, and I talk about it quite a bit, um, I was already working in sales, actually, sort of like selling shoes at a large department store when I was in mm -hmm. college. One of my last college jobs, I had many, <laughs> and, you know, and not just to say that I had the one in sports information, but I worked extra jobs, you know. Sometimes I worked extra jobs in college, sometimes two, sometimes three. 
And um, so my first sales job actually was selling alarm systems door to door, B2B. You know, I, I was eager to find a job after college, right? I didn't want to keep the job I had, although it paid the bills. I wanted an after college job. And I was out in the field by myself. It was commissions only job. I used my money to go to Dallas for training. And I was just out there by myself with no support, no training. And I, I grew, um, I allowed the fear to kind of take over me and I didn't, I wasn't successful in that job. And so I ended up taking a a job with a state agency for a while. And I was like, no, can't do this because I did have other people calling me about sales. And I knew that sales jobs were going to pay more. They were going to give me more exposure and they were going to allow me to live a better life. Yes. So I, you know, I wasn't there long <laughs> before going <laughs> back to sales. I like that because you, I mean, you want to take a job, you want to be able to pay like survive, but then you also wanted to thrive and to be able to do that, you do need more capital. So you wanted a job that exposed you a little bit more. You had, you, you were working hard in your previous job, but maybe the money wasn't matching the hard work you were doing. So this is more money per hour. And so I love that you were able to pivot into this career. What are some ways that you give back to the community and up and coming people in business? Well, through mentorship, I've mentored. Um, I, I, I'm a strong believer in mentor and, and, and being mentored. I have mentors myself and I've had really great mentors in my life. And so it makes me really um, own that responsibility of being able to help and coach and guide others. So that's one thing I do um, with you know, consistently with college students, helping them as they get ready to leave college and maybe have um, that same feeling of fear or anxiousness that I had when I was leaving college. That's, mm -hmm. you know, through my company um, recently, White Through White Sales Network, we um, sponsored the HBCU alumni, Houston alumni chapter. And we went out on voting day and we passed out water and snacks to people who went to vote. Um, so as I mentioned, my family's very community focused. Um, so in my lifetime, I've always, no matter where I've lived, when I lived in California, I was, um, one of the founding members of the East Palo Alto, um, child children's foundation. Um, when I worked at, lived in Miami, I was part of Miami cares and I, um, worked in the homeless mission in my church. So you know, it's, it's always about being engaged and, and giving back. I love that you did move frequently, but even in all of those moves, you still inserted yourself in the community and kept that community focused mindset along with you in all of those areas. And you didn't just like, you, you didn't just show up a couple of times and hand out meals and things like that. You've helped found organizations. You were really invested in those communities even if it wasn't for a very long time. And I love that practice. I think a lot of people, especially in this, I live in the DC area and it's a pretty transient area for young adults because you might go to college in DC or you might get your first big job and then you know transition to another city or another area. And um, sometimes people struggle to find their roots. And I always tell people that community service and community engagement is the best way to find a sense of community. Not only do you get to meet more people that have that service heart and service-minded mindset, but you also get to understand 
the ins and outs of your city outside of just your normal nine to five. You see the needs of the people that are out in the margins and you see maybe some of the bureaucracy that can prevent aid from for individuals in your community. And I think that your example of doing that in all of your moves is a great skill that young people should follow. Um, and well, people of all ages actually should follow because if more people really invested in their community through through service and learning about the, those communities that they are serving, the, the world would honestly be a better place. The country would be a better place than it is now. And it could always be better. Um, so you are author. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I want um, to say one other thing about community yes. service. I don't want to forget this. So my family is a family um, of nurses and have worked in oh. the medical field. And so my mom's a retired nurse. My grandmother's a retired nurse. My aunt says retired nurses. I currently have cousins, um, even male cousins that are very successful in um, nursing and nursing administration. And so one of the foundations that I worked on for many years here in Houston, well, in the Houston Galveston area was the Galveston Gulf Coast Black Nurses Association and helped them be able to put together an annual event and a fundraiser to fund their scholarship program. And so that's something that, um, you know, I want to mention that because it's something near to my family's heart. My mother has been the president. My cousin is president of that chapter now. And so, again, my family as a whole is very community-oriented uh, community and, and focused. Definitely sensing that theme of community organization, community focus, community involvement. And I love that that example coming from your grandparents all the way down to you has, consist has been consistent in your family across generations and across years and places that you've lived. Um, so you are an author and you've written books. What led you to writing books, especially um, the first couple books that you have written? And then what allowed you to, what caused you to pivot towards writing a memoir this time? Yes, thanks for asking me that. So my first couple of books were all geared towards my babies, my college babies um, and my mentorship. And it's why, so first one was why sales for college students. And I really wanted college students to understand that you can, no matter what you study, well, no matter what your area of study is, you can take that education and those transferable Sorry, skills. Why is, why is um, Siri listening to our conversation? Apologize oh, for that. she does that. She's so She's nosy. on my iPad. Very nosy, very nosy. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I wanted college students to understand that you can take whatever you learned in college and go get a job as a sales professional. And I wanted to be able to educate their families and their mentors and the people around them about sales and a sales profession. Because I tell a story that once um, a sales, someone offered me a sales job and it was earning great money, what have you. And my mom being a nurse and she was like, uh, Joyce, that cannot be legal. They're not going to pay you that kind of money. You're going to go to jail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's not true, Joyce. They're just telling you that, right? So I really, and, and sometimes when people take sales jobs, still their friends like you went in the sales, right? And I wanted people yes. to understand the value that you learn and the overall um, training and development that you receive as a sales professional. So that my first book was de dedicated to that, being able to just um, educate everyone on the sales profession and the opportunities. 
that were in a sales profession. I love that. Yes. And of course, my second book pivoted to that as well. And it was top 10 um, sales tips for college grads. And it really could be for anyone because as I say all the time, you know, in corporate, we don't want you just to show up with your social security card and ID. We want you to show up with a plan and understand that you're here for a reason. And from the day that you walk in the door, begin to work towards meeting those goals for the company, you know, and for, for your team. So, um, which should have, which would have been my first book. But when I started writing that book, I said, well, I really need to explain to people what sales is. So I went back to wow. why sales for college students. Yes. And, um, and then I came, um, and then I published the top 10 sales tips. I like that. I think you're right. You can't really digest those sales tips without understanding the why behind it. Because it's like you say what, and then the how, the why, and then the kind of the how is that top ten, and so you're 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 taking people through a process, and um you pivoted from talking about sales to talking about yourself. So what led you to that decision? You know, um, last June I left corporate um, after I found myself just having you know, come off a really great run for a couple of years, um, being very, you know, successful, being number one, um, finishing up on my team for that 2018 segment, being number one in my whole, you know, area division for 2017. I just closed an amazing deal. And I felt like I found myself dealing with um, those isms and the BS of corporate life and, and, you know, and I was saying, okay, well, Joyce, you can do this. You've been here before. You can get through this or what have you. And then one day I just said the words out of my mouth said, you know what, what would a package look like for me? Because I just felt like I needed to go and do something else and do something that was going to totally benefit me. And I said to thought to myself, you know, my next $10 million deal or whatever size deal that I close is going to be one for me. That's mm. going to benefit my business and my family. And so I left corporate. And at the time when I left corporate, I was also um, vice president for the African-American Business Resource Group. I volunteered and was active with the Women's Resource Group. Um, I volunteered um, with the community aspect of the Latino Resource Group. And I helped the Veterans Resource Group with some of their activities and planning um, because both my dad and my grandfather were Marines. And so I wanted to help that that group, that organization to be successful. So after that, you fast forward to what's happening in the world right now and companies and individuals who knew me for my work in diversity, which it was sort of that volunteer job within corporate, but it's one that I was very passionate about and that I was um, very um, active and responsible for a lot of the strategies behind how we engaged our members, which were the employees of the organization. So companies were coming to me and saying, Joyce, can we get on your calendar for an hour? Can we have a meeting with you? Can you help us with our DNI plan, right? We understand we want to get ahead of this. Can you help us with our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion plans? So I said, yes. And as I was talking to them, I said, you know, I've always led, you know, by through my heart and what I consider common sense. Let me go back and get some of the foundational um, 
education behind diversity and inclusion, some of the fundamentals. So I enrolled in a program at Cornell University, a diversity and inclusion certificate program. As I began to study and having to go through the exercises and do the work, it became painful for me, honestly. I began to realize that I had had experienced some type of trauma. Yes, yes. From what I had been dealing with for the past 30 years in my corporate life. And although, you know, and at different times of my life and my career, I handled those things differently, they were still there. And I always had this thing that I wasn't going to allow people to push me out or something because I deserve to be there. I deserve, you know, I was talented. I was sharp. I was an engaged employee. And uh, so on one hand, I began to feel like I allowed them to push me out. And on the other hand, I said, no, Joyce, it was just time. It was this, the season was over and it was time for another piece of the journey. But as I'm going through this exercise, I begin to just really, um, feel that trauma and begin to have to really think about it and and really for the first time begin to experience the impact of it and just found myself one day just you know basically just crying about it and um and people always ask me to share my story you know and I and I always wanted to keep that strong face because I wanted to be that um that light that mm strong woman getting it done and that motivation for people and young people, you know, and um, all young people, but also young people of color. And so when you're doing that, you're kind of masking your own feelings and what has happened to you. Yes. And so I yes. say, what is, you know, let me, let me get this out. And my way did I get these out? I'm a writer. I write about things, right? I write about things. I have articles on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn contributor. I write, you know, oh, I lovely. I um I wrote a, a skit um in corporate called Please Include Me. And um I began to think about that and that skit was all about I interviewed the white woman, the Spanish man, the the gay lesbian woman, the um African American man and I the veteran and I put together a story uh, skit based on all their stories and it was sort of like spoken word. And so I was like, you know, I was sort of telling our stories, everyone's stories through that. And I was like, it's time to tell my story and um, let women, young women, any women that look like me, women that don't look like me understand that. Yes, you're not imagining this. Yes, it does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and here's some ways you can deal with it. Here's happened. Here's what happened to me. And I want people to understand because you can let it define you. You can let it tear you down, you know, or you can just be very honest about what it is and create some strategies to get past it. You may have to sue people sometimes. Yep. You may have to write a couple of rebuttals. Um, you may have to go to the employee assistance, um, group you know, and get counseling. I've done all of those things and I wanted them to know that it was okay. Wow, Joyce, that is, I mean, you said a lot of things here and all of them were amazing and I identify with a lot of it. I am also a, a diversity co-practitioner where I work and sometimes in doing diversity work, especially as a 
of women of color, there's that intersection of sexism and racism that you sit in a lot. And in doing the work, you are, you experience that trauma. And if you haven't processed it, um, it could be very difficult. And then you, or you can wear a mask, like you were saying, you're wearing that mask, a strong mask, especially when you're mentoring young people or people new in business, you want to be perceived as strong and capable and not being affected, but you're still affected whether you coped with it or not. And I remember um, one thing my therapist said was just because you coped excellently through something does not mean it wasn't traumatic. And so um, that's kind of what you learned when you, you learned when you were taking the certificate program that yes, you were excellent and not maybe having it affect your career. You, you pivoted, you adapted through all of that but it still affected you. And I love how you kind of go back to your roots of being a writer and working in communications and telling stories like you did in your first job and in your experiences in high school and college. And you parlay this into those articles that you write for LinkedIn, the, the stories that you told and the skit that you created after interviewing these diverse groups of people. I love that full circle. I love full circle moments. And this is a mini full circle moment of that career in writing and then um, leaving it to do sales and then coming back to it in this capacity. I love it. Yes. And you know, when, and when you're holding on to other people's stories, when you're in that DNI space and people are coming mm-hmm. to you and they're sharing with you, I mean, I had to go to someone, there was leaders that I had to go to and say, here, here, this is what's happening to me. How do I get past this? Because, you know, you know, you know, if you're African-American woman, a lot of times where you're assertive, now you're aggressive, you know, and, and I'm probably the scariest mm-hmm. person ever, you know, I just scare the heck out of people. So, <laughs> but when you're, you know, so when you are holding on to others, people's stories too, and it it's painful because you know, these people are being mistreated and you know, that is wrong. And so you're coaching them and helping them get through it. So you're kind of sounding board for one person, two people five, 10, right? And and yeah. dealing with your own and you're holding, you're carrying the weight of it all. Yes, and it, the weight is too heavy for one person to to count on. And you, I like how you had someone that you could reach out to and you, when you give these tips, you're not just giving them based off of a certificate program and you know a checklist, you're giving them based off of things that you navigated through and through your corporate career, you having to go to EAP, um, the employee assistance program through your your employer to get that free counseling that's available to employees, having to deal with maybe HR issues and writing complaints or suing and, and all of those nuanced things that are involved in getting justice for yourself and sticking up for yourself. And I think you being a coach for people is an excellent resource, but it also means that instead of that person carrying the load alone, you're now carrying it with them and imagine carrying, helping so many other people carrying the load while you're still carrying your own. It's great that you had someone to a little offload a little bit with and um, share your experiences and, and what you were going through as a, as a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And you carry that. And I tell people, so, you know, it's a, it's a hard decision to make it to fight, right? 
Mm -hmm. um, but we are here and we have the privileges that we have because someone fought before us. So you have to keep in mind that sometimes the fight isn't for you. It may not benefit you. I mean, I fought in a situation before and it didn't benefit me. It could have, I guess, if I'd have gone a little bit further with it, but I was a little tired and I wanted to move on my career. Um, but it benefited the next group that came because it was, it had been documented. Yes. So yes. sometimes the fight may not get you where you want to be. And for that, I don't want you to feel defeated because the fight is, you know, we're voting now because someone else fought, someone else died, you know, and because of the fight, now we have these opportunities. So it may, the fight may not be for you alone. The, the fight is sometimes bigger than who you are. Exactly. And I think that sometimes when you, you take that courageous leap to fight, you might encourage someone to do the same. You may, like I, I interviewed someone that was experiencing sexual harassment. She was one of my first guests in the workplace. And um, she kind of like, let it go, let it go. And then all of a sudden she just like, she was like, I'm going to speak about it. And she got pushback from people. And then it real, and then it came to light that this was a common occurrence for so many other women. And so she was the first one to, you know, take that leap of faith to speak up. And then all of a sudden other people are saying, you know, just like the Me Too movement, I as well, I as well. And you, your courageous leap of faith might help other people. And sometimes it may, it may not, it may really just be a fight that you lose, but you you will never know the ripple effects that it has. Um, it might it might just be something that's added to the case of some of someone else's situation, unfortunately, because people do tend to create a pattern of of being racist or misogynistic, and um, when you stay silent, that empowers them, and taking some of their power away, it might be calling them to task and questioning what the policies and procedures happening in that workplace. Um, you talked about kind of this cathartic process of taking the certification class. Did you experience that same, those same feelings when you started to write your memoir? Absolutely. You know, there are some chapters that are tougher to write than others, you know, mm -hmm. and um, some stories that, you know, I mean, the writing is a little easier now because I have an option. I like to type things out, but also have the option of just speaking into my iPad and having the words oh, show up the there. Best. <laughs> right. Yes. And then I can go back and, and edit some things. But it's even tough sometimes saying it out loud. You know, there is one particular story that I hadn't talked about. And it was more along with um, sexism and, you know, being at a at a conference and having one of my um, white VPs, you know, kind of try to force himself on me and um, make me, you know, you know, I needed to, um, I was told to basically just get him to his room because he had had too much to drink. And, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to get him to this door over here, you know, and so that our company won't look bad having one of our VPs fall apart drunk inside of a hotel lobby. And um, 
And so it just became something else. We got on elevators trying to force himself on me. And then I'm trying to just get him through the lobby without making a scene. And, um, and him basically just saying, you know, you're going to come to my, this is how this is going to go down. You're going to come to my room and, you know, what have you. And I remember, you know, reaching out to, um, you know, a, a couple of men, one of the guys texts me and he says, get him out of this lobby. I'm like, you come get, come help me with him, you know, type of thing. Come get him out of here as I need help. And he didn't come help me. Right. And wow. so then I did end up um, seeing one of the other, um, you know, leaders or maybe I called them because I think I was calling a couple people like, you know, hey, come, you know, help me deal with this. And he actually came along and he was walking with us through this long, you know, you have to, you know, hotels are connected. You walk in from one mm -hmm. little tunnel to the other hotel where he was um, to, you know, kind of like say, okay, here you are. And, um, and so it, the other gentleman started following us and he's telling him, look, look, man, I got this, get away or what have you. And I'm just look, I'm shaking my head like, no, don't leave me. Right. And so I didn't do anything about that story. I didn't report it or anything because, you know, in my mind, I just didn't really know what to do um, or how to handle it. And, and it was just like, no one talked about it after the, after the fact, right? We got him to his hotel and kind of just pushed him on the elevator. And, you know, he was trying to grab me to come on with him. And I stuffed back and I, and I left with the other, with the other gentleman. Um, he was just asking, are you okay? You know, you're okay. I say, yes. But afterwards, no one spoke about it. No one talked about it. And I um, started to, you know, kind of report it or make a fuss about it. And I remember just thinking, okay, are these guys going to have my back, right? Are, you know, are these guys going to have my back if I bring this up? Are they going to make me, you know, feel like I'm insane? Because no one had reached out to me after that to say, um, are you okay? Or, you know, apologize that things went this way, or I didn't know that he, that, you know, he would do this or just anything. And so I found myself on one hand saying, well, I don't want to report it and cause a problem for these, you know, also for these black men, but also thinking, well, these black men didn't really have my back either. Yeah. There's, it, I know. mean, there's so much to unpack there. There's that, I mean, you're worried about yourself as a woman, but also as a black woman, you're worried about your fellow black person and the, any retaliation that they might perceive. And I think that and for a lot of people, they don't realize that that's the plight of being black and female in this country that you're worried on two accounts. And there are so like, as you're telling this story, I can like see so many red flags of where someone should have stepped in on your behalf. And if they were thinking about you, right. That caring about you as a, not just an employee, but as a person, you would never have even been put in that situation. So nothing about this was your fault. The first time that they asked you to take care of this person that was seemingly intoxicated um, and put the reputation of the company ahead of your safety was that first mistake that was made. And then people not answering your call for whatever reason. And obviously the, the, the intoxicated VP was very inappropriate. And it's just wild that 
someone yeah it was a wild night it was yeah they didn't want to protect you because they wanted to protect themselves but it's still they still didn't protect you so whatever their excuses still put you in a traumatic situation that you never should have been in Right. And, you know, on, on one hand, you think, okay, you don't want to fall into a stereotype where a man and a woman can't have dinner because they're colleagues and they should be able mm-hmm. to have talk business. So whether it's a, a woman getting him out of there or a man getting him out of there, someone had to take the corporate responsibility on behalf of our company to do just that. But when it went to the next level, and I think, you know, I think, too, that maybe the elder going down the elevator just made him really intox- even more intoxicated was because I'm trying to hold him up me trying to hold yeah. him up he's much taller than I was much much taller than I am and and I'm a tall girl you know I'm five seven so five seven and a half so you know it it and so then at this point I'm looking at the, the man like <laughs> you know yeah can you help out you know yes need to you know I need to kind of offload this or what have you and um yeah and so then after the fact not one person called to say you know are you okay I'm sorry that happened. It was just kind of like, okay, we're just not going to, we're not going to talk about this. And that's like, that's something that I've noticed when people talk about allies or support in a work, work workplace, I always think about moments where maybe I experienced something inappropriate that happened or there's nationally all of these killings and, you know, protests and so many black people are, are experiencing pain because of them. And how many people reached out and said, like, I'm thinking about you or how, what can I do? And how many people did not? Um, and so their silence and their inaction says, speaks volumes. It really does. And I, I tell people, they, I had a discussion with some sorority sisters of mine about, should you talk about DEI topics in the workplace as someone that's looking for a career? And maybe 10 to 15 years ago, the answer would be absolutely not. You just need to get a job. But because of the climate that we're in now, that's something that if, if you're lucky enough to be discriminated about different job opportunities based off of the diversity initiatives that that company has, that's an important question that people are asking. What do you think about um, companies and prospective uh, people that are going into business? What do you think about using that as a gauge to see how a company or a career or well, actually just a company might fit for them? You know, I think it's important. And I've asked the questions myself, you know, when I first left, um, I, I knew I wanted, I've been working on my platform and what I wanted to do for three years. Um, but, you know, I was like, ah, oh, this is really time. I would plan to do it in a couple of years. You know, it's not, yeah, I plan to do it um, actually next year, <laughs> you know, my birthday next year. I always do things around my birthday. So, <laughs> and so I'm a little like, so Joyce, you're a little ahead of your schedule here. And should you go back into corporate, what have you? So I immediately just kind of like a panic started, you know, doing some interest. I, and, I, and I ask people, you know, but I don't think that it's the total decision around if you're going to go to an organization. And the reason I say that is because I was an organization that had all of those resources. But a lot of times for companies, that's checking the box, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as one of my uh, mentors, you know, would say their their audio didn't look like their video. I love that. I love that. 
right? So a lot of times for organizations, that's just checking a box. I think you now you can go to people's LinkedIn and their social media and you can see because it's not just about the company. The company or you know, that's just building blocks. Those are bricks. Mm-hmm. The people make the company. So yes. what is it about those people and those leaders? What organizations are they, you know, part of? What do they sponsor? What type of comments they make on, on social? You know, what do they, what do they truly stand for? You know, are they just checking the box or are they really engaged? Yes. I, I mean, I think that's true. Just as much as employers look through your social media to see if you're a great fit for them. I did it even when I was voting. I did mail-in voting and um, one of the benefits of being able to vote is to be able to research everyone. And judges, you can research what they tweet about. You can research what those judges' candidates um, stand by and organizations that they've like supported and donated towards. And that says a lot about that candidate. Same thing with the job. If you can see maybe professional organizations people have joined, if someone has joined like a organization centered around diversity, then maybe they're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Um, I love that audio versus video because a lot of people in response to that black square on Instagram and the statements by major organizations and companies to say that they supported black lives um, were very performative, in my opinion, in their allyship and performative in these statements. But then when you look behind the veil, the board, the board demographic is still the same. The leadership demographic is still the same. The environment for the employees is still the same. And people that worked in these companies were like, funny, you're saying this. This is how it is to be a woman of color or um, a person from any other marginalized demographic in this company. And so people are speaking out. One, One tip that I've gotten is if you know someone that works in that company and that that can be found through LinkedIn. You can research people that work in the company that you're interested in. You can ask them earnestly, okay, I can see you're a middle-level employee. What is it like working there? And they might be honest with you, maybe not, but that's another great way to get the real temperature of a business or an organization outside of what they just put on their website. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, it goes two ways. But like I said, I ask about the, the diversity question now and, you know, um, but it's not the the all to be all right. Some companies just mm-hmm. haven't made it there yet. Um, you know, um, they're too small or what have you, which I don't think anyone's really too small. You can always start having a conversation. Yeah. But but do know and, and understand and at least ask so you can find out from your hiring manager, what their thoughts are are on it. Yeah. And even if they don't have it yet, they might, this might be part of their three-year strategic plan and they're in year one or it was just approved. So it it is still gives you a good temperature on where they're at related to that topic. Um, So I always ask my guests, especially women like you that are, you know, power boss ladies, how do you maintain balance and peace in your career and personal life, especially with everything going on? You know, you'd, you know, we, we, um, I think in our, um, the women's resource group, something a couple of years ago, we just threw out that word life balancing. We're like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is, there's no balance, right? There's no balance, but what there is, is you have to make a decision to, um, make what time you have time of quality. Hmm. 
I've so, actually gotten that response before. Yes. And, and, and it's true because you know what, it's, it's a Friday night right now and mm-hmm. it's um, 5.30 in Houston. I um, was going to have a, um, well, I do, I have a date that I pushed back for an hour so that I could have this call with you. Oh, wow. I'm honored. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working during date time on a Friday and, or when I guess when I should be heading over to um, dinner. But then when you get there, you just have to, you know, shut things down and be um, engaged. Yes. I love that. That's, I think for a lot of, you know, powerful women that are multi-hyphenated, working on a lot of things at the same time, they they don't necessarily compartmentalize. I can never say this word, compartmentalize, um, or block off their time and like shut everything off. But they really do. If so, you're on this interview. You're on this interview. When you're on that date, you're on that date. You're not looking at your schedule for tomorrow or the next week or whatever. And um, I think that's the way to do it. I am also, it's 6.30 here on the East Coast and, you know, I'm here with you and I'm enjoying it. I probably wouldn't be doing anything super fancy right now, but I could be <laughs> watching a Hallmark movie. Who knows? Right. With Hallmark, but, um, but that, I think that's, that's uh, encouraging for people that think that they have to maybe let go of things, but know that. If you say yes to something, you're always saying no to something, even if it is just chillaxing and watching a Hallmark movie. You're you're saying no to that pocket of time to do something else. Absolutely, you know, and and I'm Auntie Joyce. I don't have kids, but Aunt Joyce, that's <laughs> one that's my favorite role in life. And my college students call me Aunt Joyce. Um, former guys that people have reported to me in corporate call me Aunt Joyce. And so, because they know how much I, I love my nieces and I value our time together. So, um, you know, if I have my seven-year-old niece here with me, she goes to bed at 8.30. So I can shut down early and spend quality time with her because then at 8.30, mm-hmm. I can back up on it, right? Yes, exactly. Maximizing the time that you have with her and then finding time to do something else later. Okay, my last question, so I can let you go on this date. Um, I always ask roses and thorns. Rose is a highlight of your week or month, and a thorn is a bump along the way. What is one rose and one thorn? Well, Rose, we had our Meet the Recruiter event today, and so where we put people in front of recruiters and, you know, that could possibly employ them. We gave, helped them. We had a trainer to talk about strategies for their interview process and, um, you know, it was executed well and we had a good group of people that showed for it. And so the last time we had it, we um, got a letter from someone about how they took the strategies and got a job. So we're looking for more people to have been helped from that program. So that would certainly be a rose. And I guess the thorn would be that we are planning our sales conference and I'm planning some, my book launch and other things. And we're still dealing with COVID. We had to cancel our in-person conference this year that was going to be in the Bahamas and pivot and go all, you know, all virtual. So next year mm-hmm. we're planning for virtual as well as still wanting to be in person. So I've, um, this week talked to two people, you know, we've talked to people in two different countries because we want our sales conference to be international. People have a little fun, you know, go to the beach while they're doing it and yeah. to, to figure out what we're going to do. And, and that whole planning is just a, 
thorn in my side, just every, oh, every yes. you know, just trying to figure it out for, um, you know, for next year. And our student conference, of course, we're wanting that to be more of a cohort of students where we train them and track them for a year. But of course, we need mm -hmm. to bring them together. We want to bring them together for a better experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just planning for the, you know, planning for um, possible in-person events, you know. Yes. And as someone that loves planning, I'm sure this is a really a big thorn in your side because you cannot control this pandemic at all. And I, I a thousand percent empathize that it's really, I don't think I would have to think this far. Now I'm like questioning things mid 2021 that I thought for sure would be in person for my job. So um, I can totally understand that how that would be frustrating for someone, especially someone that loves to plan like you do. You know, I was on the phone today with the Bahamas um, Tourism Group, and we're talking about 2022. <laughs> oh, please don't say that. No, yes, no. we no. are. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I hope that your event planning goes well and that you find peace in wherever it, it lands. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You've been a pleasure to speak with. I hope that people are listening have learned a lot more about you and I cannot wait for your new book to be released. Can you tell us more about where to follow you along on your journey and where to find your book when it's released? Absolutely. So we have a, a pre-packaged, pre-sale package out right now on my website, www.imjoycejohnson.com, where you can pre-order the book, the t-shirt and the journal, because we're going to put a journal out for it. Because as I said, I, I think we're all going to need a little therapy Mm -hmm. <laughs> to go through this. And so we've also created a series called Therapy Thursday, where every Thursday at noon, I go live and I talk about a different chapter in a book and I bring on a co-host and we have who have been a part of my life at a certain time. And we talk about some of those things that some, some, I mean, we kind of go everywhere with it, but we have a great conversation and it's therapy because I felt I needed some therapy, <laughs> you know? after, you know, you know, doing the writing process. So please follow along on Therapy Thursday, follow along at I am Joyce Johnson. Um, the book launch is going to be on January the 15th, which is um, Dr. King's actual birthday, Martin Luther King's birthday and Founder's Day for Alpha Capital Alpha Sorority Incorporated, my sorority. So January 15th is a, you know, is a, it's a good day. And so that'll be the actual day that we release the book. And then also for our sales conferences and tips and other things that I do, um, guidance, um, www.ysalesnetwork.com. So I'm on social media at I am Joyce Johnson, I am Joyce Johnson, and then Y Sales Network as well. Awesome. I will link all of that information down below in the show notes so that people yeah. can check it out and pre-order um we all can always i can always use another journal and a t-shirt and definitely we'll be writing out some notes reading your book thank you again joyce for being a guest i hope you have an amazing day thank you thank you Joyce's skill and talent in telling stories truly came in handy as she unpacked her negative experiences in her professional career. So many people experience those isms, as she called them, whether in corporate life or in other areas of work. She knew her worth and pivoted once again to a path that allowed and embraced her full self. 
Chronicling these stories surely helps as a mentor and a coach. Be sure to pre-order Joyce's memoir, No Back Doors for Me, launching January 15th at IamJoyceJohnson.com and check out events from YSL's network at YSL'sNetwork.com. I'll leave information in the show notes. Make sure to head over to TellMeIfYouCan.com to learn more about our newsletter and support us on Patreon. As always, have a great day in your own amazing story. 